Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. I want to encourage you now to turn with me in your Bibles uh, to the second chapter of Genesis. We are now in the fifth week of our ongoing series in Genesis 1 through 11. What we've been saying for these many weeks has been that this is a different kind of scripture. That it's not intending to be a science book or a history book, but rather it's intending to do something in the hearts of those who read these stories. It's intending to stoke and provoke the imagination of faith with these stories and these people and these images and these, this poetic language that's being used to speak to the needs of those who in some contexts are undergoing suffering and persecution, exile, and, and great pain. So today we, we approach these 11 with that kind of mindfulness. But to do so, we need to ask the Lord's help. We're going to offer a word of prayer. And we're going to read the scripture through the sermon today because we are going to read a lot of scripture today. A lot of Bible in this sermon. So to do so, let's pray, then we'll jump in with both feet. Most loving God, we are so grateful that, that you are in and among us. And that you are calling us this day to participate with you in the co-creation of the world. Of building and sustaining a vision that you established even in Genesis, a vision of life and love and, and life together with you and one, one another. And when we get to participate in moments and in missions like Presidio or so many others, Lord, we, we count it a privilege to us that we get to participate in your mission in lavishing this world with love. Now, even now as we open up the book, even now as we open up these stories to speak to us, we pray that your spirit would be so present and so near that we are able to sense something arising from the pages of these ancient texts that provokes something in us today. Some have gathered on this campus today hurting some have gathered, Lord, in the midst of great confusion and chaos and perhaps ambiguity, not knowing which direction to take this week with crises or decisions that have to be made. And yet, we suspect that if we fix our eyes upon you and we tune the ears of our hearts to your spirit, then something will emerge from this sacred text that speaks to those who need you. So speak to us now. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, so 
today, week number five. We've been saying this is a different kind of Bible. This is an attempt to do something in the hearts of people. And we said thus far that the first two chapters are doing something really curious. There are two accounts of the creation story, two different creation accounts, one of them mainly in chapter one and one of them mainly in chapter two. But what we said thus far is that chapter one is so ordered and so orderly that it has a certain kind of cadence to it. It has a certain kind of poetry to it, a kind of movement and rhythm and rhyme to it. We believe that it emerged from the priests of the 6th century B.C. and may have even been used in the context of worship, in that context in which there was great chaos and trouble in exile and every time they gather they could hear in the chanting and the singing the ordered reminder that in the midst of chaos God brings order and builds worlds and remakes matter so that it does matter that's chapter one that's the first version of creation very orderly God's doing all the action last week we said it's like like Brueggemann says it's kind of vertical Chapter 2, as we went into last week, we saw, well, it's, it's flatter. It's more earthy and gritty. It's, it's God doing all the action, yeah, but God's on the ground and in the mud and forming the man out of the clay and inviting the man to participate with God in the co-creation of the world. I'll make the ground and you cultivate it and make stuff grow from it. I'll make the animals and you name them, right? So on the second story of creation, it's very, well, it's very horizontal. And there is a kind of intersection between the divine activity and the human participation. And right there in the center, we're asked to consider what it looks like for the divine and the human to abide within us and among us. And someone you and I would recognize as the Christ the Christ of God. But chapters 1 and 2, when you take them together, they are demonstrating that there is a God who creates out of God's own Godness. Now, we believe that God is a kind of triune God, is how we talk about it, the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit. And what we've been attempting to do these last five weeks is say that out of God's um, community of, of Godhood, the Trinity, God creates a world that looks like God, that has the image of God, that's meant to be shaped like God. We have often talked about the Trinity this way, Father, Son, Spirit. And this is not a lesson on Trinity, but, but we could have one, couldn't we? We say that the Greeks told us the best way to think about the Trinity is to think about a dance. It's called perichoresis. Peri from circle and choresis from choreography, meaning to dance. The Trinity is to be thought of as a kind of circle dance in which the action and energy and love and care of the Father is shared with the Son and the action and energy and care and love of the Son is shared with the Spirit and the Spirit will share its kindness, its love, its compassion, its advocacy with the Father. So we say of God that God is a community of divine energy and action. We've talked about that for a long time. But do you know that this about two weeks ago I, I read a blog 
that perhaps gave me the best illustration to think about the Trinity, this, this circle dance of energy and movement and motion out of which all the created order emerges. They said, think about a fidget spinner. Now you thought when I finished my doctorate this week, we would get more sophisticated. <laughs> nah, we're gonna bring toys back to the preaching moment. Think about the fidget spinner. There, there are three parts to the fidget spinner, three distinct areas, and, they, and, and, and yet when you, when you move them together, there's kind of a, an energy, an action, that looks like one thing. And yet inside there, you and I both know all three are moving together. There's a rhythm, there's an energy, there's an action, and it's moving and sharing with one another, and one reacts to the other, and the other reacts to the next. And the Trinity at creation, from the Trinity's own energy and love, pours forth itself so that it might create a world that looks and behaves the same. You and I are intended to live and love with one another in such a way that our energy feeds one another, our compassion cares for one another. There's a mutual care in, in this garden of Eden that God has designed. And all through chapter one and chapter two, we're watching the energy move and be poured out into the universe until chapter three. In chapter three, the energy and the integration, the perfectly integrated life that we shared with God falls to pieces. Because enter now the story of our sin. I want you to read with me chapter 2. We're going to reach back to chapter 2 and begin in verse number 8 to catch us up. Verse number 8, hear these words. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed out of the ground the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now skip with me to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat of every tree in the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. I wonder if we might be able to move through this sermon today in four motions. Four movements, and to help move us through the four movements of this sermon, I want you to think of four words or four phrases, and they are these. Break lights, snake bites, isms, and grace. Break lights, snake bites, isms, and grace. And first, break lights. So God creates this magnificent existence that's what the Garden of Eden is. That's what your life is. That's what your life is. The potential for magnificent existence. And he creates, as the text tells us, this environment in which there is every kind of tree 
The text describes the trees this way. They were pleasant to the sight and good for food. In other words, in this magnificent existence that God creates for us, there is everything that we possibly need for a life of true contentment in God. From the moment of your birth, There is already everything you could possibly need for a life of true contentment. And not only that, according to this story, this is the second version of the creation story, and in this story, the very first words that come out of the mouth of God to the mortal that he has made are these words, you are free. You're free to eat of all the trees in the garden, but just not this one. But the first three words are perhaps the most powerful. You are free. You are free to live in this world and love this world and love one another. You're you're free to live and laugh and love to the fullest. I want you to enjoy the life that I have created. You're free. You will not be coerced by me, manipulated by me, wrangled by me. You're free. But more than just free to enjoy it all, you are free to do something more magnificent than perhaps you have ever imagined. You are free to know me, says the Lord God. And you are free to be known by me. And in being known by me, you are free to participate in what I'm doing in this world. You you are free to join me in the co-creation of the world. I'll make the ground and you make stuff grow from it. I'll name, I'll make the animals and you name them and care for them. You are free. And in the midst of this magnificent existence of extraordinary freedom, there is just one thing that you can't do. Well, you can, but you mustn't. You may eat of every tree that you see, but not this one. And right in the middle of freedom, God plants restraint. In the middle of freedom, God plants restraint, which now enter the greatest strangeness of this ironic garden. The greatest strangeness of this ironic garden is boundaried freedom. Boundaried freedom. My friends, we are living at a time and in an era when it is assumed that if, if, if anyone tries to place a boundary on me, that is somehow a restriction of my freedom. And we live at a time when we want to have anything we want, when we want it, do what we want, go where we want without any limitations whatsoever, and limitation and boundary is interpreted as somehow a restriction of my freedom. But the truth is, boundary is not an attack on our freedom. Boundary boundary is a way to preserve the freedom God gives us in this magnificent garden. So let me give you an example. So I can get in my car, and I'm free to drive really fast. I am free to drive 100 miles an hour or more, and my car is made to do so. Believe me, 
Take my word for it. But as illegal as it is, I am free to drive in excess of 100 miles an hour. But if I exercise my freedom to drive at that speed around a sharp corner, then I won't live to tell you about it. So pumping the brakes is not a restriction of my freedom. Pumping the brakes is a way to preserve the capacity to exercise my freedom around the next corner. Living within limitation is freedom. Putting boundaries, living within boundaried freedom is how we live free. Do you want to know what real enslavement is? What real tyranny is? Real tyranny is having access, unfettered access to anything we want anytime at all times. I mean, if you just want to get a little example of what I'm talking about, right now in your pocket you can have access to any kind of information you want. You can get news reports, you can get updates, you can get notifications, and it can bing and ding and zing all day long. But let me ask you a question. Now that you have access to all that, that tree of knowledge, are you freer? Because there are moments in which that very access enslaves us. And that's just one tiny example. I saw a video once of this, uh, this girl who was given a, a beautiful car by her dad. A very, very fancy car. It was just absolutely gorgeous. like a Lamborghini, you know. And she walks out and it's the wrong color. And so she pitches a fit, right? It's the wrong color. Get that piece of junk off the, off the driveway. She really, and so I'm like, having unfettered access to anything you want all the time, anytime, always, is a kind of tyranny. It's a kind of enslavement. And you know why? Because we are never then fully free to learn how to be content with the thing that's in front of us. You may eat of all of the trees except this one. And living within the limitation of staying away from that tree allows me to open my life to the fullness of being content with all this that God has provided. So many of us live discontented lives because we think that the goal is to have unfettered access to anything and anyone we ever want. Sometimes you got to pump the brakes. We sang in here just a moment ago a hymn, FLC. We sang in traditional this, this hymn a little while ago called In Christ Our Liberty. The first line of it is powerful. It says, we, we bind ourselves in freedom's chains. The cross has made us free. God's anvil forged each link with love. In Christ, our liberty, sometimes to live in this magnificent garden that God has designed for us, we pump the brakes. So yeah, the first movement, brake lights. Second movement in this conversation this morning I want you to think about is not just brake lights, but snake bites. Snake bites. The story continues with chapter 3, verse 1. Hear these words. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, 
Did God say, you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, well, no, 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 we... We may, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it or you, you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, ah, <laughs> Serpent said to the woman, you will not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. This is a fascinating part of the story. The serpent. Not a snake, but a serpent. And by the way, not something else. Resist, if you can, the temptation to assume that the character in this story is the same as Satan as we talk about him later in the Old Testament and New Testament. The personification of evil develops in Hebrew theology later in the game. Here, it's just a serpent who plays a role. And the role of the serpent in this story is to be a voice that asks questions. See, in the middle of your garden, God has planted a tree also. God has planted a tree in the middle of my garden, in the middle of your garden. And that tree represents everything that must be avoided in order to live fully and freely in the boundaried freedom of this life that God has created. But stay away from that tree, that thing, that, that temptation. Stay away from it, but around your tree, whatever it may be for you, there is always going to be this serpentine voice that slithers in and out of your, your life. And that serpentine voice will ask questions that will cause you to reconsider who it is and what way of life you were intended to live. Did you notice how sinister it was? He asked the question that's not even in the text, even in the Bible. He says, did God say, really, that you can't eat any of the trees? Well, they both know that God didn't say that. But now she's hooked into a conversation that she never thought she was going to have. I mean, now she's talking about it. Now they have to defend themselves. Did God really say that you can't eat? Well, he knew that God didn't say that they couldn't eat of any of the trees. But now we're in this conversation and watch what happens. That's the tree I was supposed to avoid. Here. Boom. That's the tree I'm supposed to avoid. And I was never to go near it, not even touch it, or I would die. So I'm staying over here with all of these trees, a life of abundance and, and, and contentment. But now this question has made me at least come over here to answer the question. No, 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 he didn't say we couldn't eat. Just that, that we can't eat from this one here. That, that now is in reach. There's even something interesting that happens in the Hebrew. In the Hebrew, when the serpent responds to her and says, you're not going to die, it says it this way. 
It says, you certainly will not die. That's the way we sometimes translate it from the Hebrew, but there is a Hebrew ambiguity in which it can also be translated this way. You will not certainly die. Can you, can you hear the difference? You certainly will not die. Or you will not certainly die. You could, but there's a possibility that you can get near the thing that you knew you were supposed to avoid. There's a possibility you can get near it and be okay because I'm strong enough in my convictions and in my morals and in my virtues. I can do the things that, you know, I can get near doing the thing and choose not to do it. I can be near it and all of a sudden we are here and we never thought we would be here. Nobody ever wakes up one morning and says, I think I'm going to ruin my life. I think I'm going to break the law, steal something. Nobody ever says, I think I'm going to have an extramarital affair today, ruin my family, live with the consequences for the rest of my life. No, nobody wakes up and says, hey, good morning. We wake up and we begin to ask questions of ourselves. Is it really that bad? I mean, it's just a... It's just text message. We're just, we're just texting each other, you know. I mean, is it really that bad? Did God say we can't actually eat of the fruit of any of the trees? I mean, it's just coffee. Just coffee. And that's how temptation works. We, it slithers, right? It slithers. And what fascinates me is that this whole story gets hijacked, it gets, it gets uh, scripture jacked in some ways to, to, to make it seem like it's all the woman's fault too. And for ages we've always blamed the woman because she's the one who took the fruit first, but I want you to pay attention. We always have, have treated throughout the centuries like it was the woman's fault. I mean it is, but, but we have always... <laughs> no, I'm kidding, kidding, honey, kidding. But I want you to pay attention to the movement in the language of the decision that it took to get from here. I'm never even going to go near the thing. I'm not even going to talk about it. Well, I'll talk about it. I'll question it. Maybe. Listen to the deliberate nature. I want you to listen for the verbs that are used to describe the action of the woman. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was Um, let's see so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise she took of its fruit and ate and she yeah so seven seven verbs let's stop right there she took and she ate seven she comes near but it's taken a while to get there I mean she didn't run to the tree it took a while And she studies it. When she saw that it was a delight to the eyes and that its food was good to make one wise, she studies it, considers it. Slowly, deliberately, seven verbs of discernment, seven verbs of action and deliberation, seven verbs of slowly, methodically making her way to the place where she thought she never would be. But then the the very next line describes 
the action of the man. And she gave some to the man who was with her, and he ate. (laughs) So if there is anyone culpable, guys, let's just say the truth of the matter is this story is meant to say that both the man and the woman there, they both lived outside their boundaried freedom, left a life of contentment to take the one thing that would then open their eyes, and it did. The text says it opened their eyes, and they saw that they were naked. When you live outside the boundary freedom God intends for you, and when you eat of the fruit that is not meant to give you life and sustain your life, you do see things differently. You see things through the eyes of shame and resentment, bitterness, unforgiveness, We see that we are different, so we must cover ourselves. That's the action of the false self. The false self is that which clothes itself in order to project a different version of oneself that may be more acceptable or more affirming. So when we live outside the boundary freedom God calls us to live, we leave the true self and live out of the false, and trouble emerges. Brake lights, snake bites, isms, brings us to our next passage, isms. So picking up the story after they've made their fig leaves, after they have covered themselves, after they recognize no longer are we innocent, we will now forever see each other and see God and see our existence through a different set of lenses. Once we've been there, we pick up the story in verse number Eight. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, the Lord God, among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? He said, I, I heard the sound of you in the garden and, and I was afraid because I was naked and, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? I love this part of the story. God knows that he's eaten from the tree that he was not supposed to eat, but he makes the man own up to it. Have you been eating what you were not supposed to be eating? It reminds me of a great video. It's just uh, absolutely adorable. There is this dad who catches his two sons, two toddler sons, and they've gotten into the paint. And they have covered themselves with paint. And the dad sees, he gets his video camera, and he addresses them and makes them own up to it. And I want you to watch and see if this video doesn't have Genesis 3 written all over it. Listen closely. Whose idea was this? Did you think this was a good idea? Look at brother's face. Who got the paint out? Brother did? did No? How'd he get it?
He what? He built a stairs. He built a stairs? Yes, did he? With what? With blocks. With blocks? Yes, he built a stairs, did he? How come you didn't tell him no? Who's the big brother? You are. How come you didn't tell him no? That wasn't a good idea. Do you think you guys should have timeouts? You don't think so? Do you think I should not give you guys any more juice? What is funny? Nothing's funny, bud. Oh my goodness. Oh, is it not beautiful? I, I said my my favorite is who's the big brother? Are you the big brother? <laughs> caught red-handed, red-faced, caught. This is what God sees in us every day. Y'all, we, we live outside our boundaried freedoms. And when we live outside our boundaried freedoms, where we're supposed to have a, a content life, we got everything we need, but we choose to go to the place where we're not supposed to go, there will be consequences. There will be consequences. And in the text that, that continues in just a moment, you're, you're going to see, well, God says to the man, who? Who told you? Where did you? And, and Adam did what this beautiful little kid did. <laughs> it was Eve. And Eve said, it was the serpent. And so then God addresses the serpent in what may be the most disturbing indictment thus far in the sacred text. Listen to these words. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you among all the animals, and, and among all the wild animals upon your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity, strife, division, conflict between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, and he will strike your head, and you will strike his heel to the woman. He says, I will give I will greatly increase your pangs in childbirth, and in pain you shall bring forth children, and yet your desire will be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to the man he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat. It cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. You are dust, and to dust you will return. When we live outside the boundaried freedom that God designed for us to fully live into and love and enjoy. The consequence is this. You will be bitten by the snake. You will be bitten in such a way that there is now division everywhere. And oh, remember the, the perfect union in which God was existing and out of which God created a world of 
community and integration and sharing and mutual love, remember? Well, guess what? Now there is nothing but division between the serpent and other animals, gradations of division between the other animals and the woman, and between the woman and the man, between the man and himself. Did you notice You are from the ground, and now you will work at the ground. There will be a division even between you and you. And we've been working ever since to try to get this together. That's what happens, and that's where the isms come. The isms. All the hate-filled isms of racism and sexism and ageism and ableism and anti-Semitism. These emerge from a life of total disintegration. We have disintegrated from our original integration with God and with one another. And it is a mess. Yet, there is one more word in this passage, one more word in this sermon I want to share. When you live outside the boundaried freedom, yeah, you get snake bit. And yes, the isms of every kind emerge and there's nothing but disintegration and pain. And you know what disintegration feels like. The moment, the moment you live outside your own boundary freedom and, and you eat from the fruit of whatever tree you know God told you not to eat from, you know what disintegration feels like. You know that it disrupts your relationships with one another you know that it disrupts your relationship with God and you can't even sleep at night because it disrupts your relationship with you and the earth from which you came but there's one more word that makes this whole story just sail grace grace Because after this, you know how the story ends. At the end of chapter 3, God expels the man and the woman from Eden and puts a, a cherubim with a flaming sword outside to guard the gate. And you can never come back because once you leave Eden, you spend the rest of your life living east of it. Right? And yet there's one verse, verse 21, that stands up off the page. It reads this way. And the Lord God made garments of skin for the man and for his wife, And clothed them. Even in the midst of the consequence of their sin, even in the midst of their rebellion, in the midst of living outside the boundary freedom, in the midst of all that had fallen apart and disintegrated in their lives, it didn't stop God from loving them. And the image is God down on God's knees, beginning to sew together the skins of animals like a parent who's disappointed in the child but will never stop loving the child. And he clothes them so that in the consequence of their sin, they are still protected and loved. And Romans 5, 8 reminds us why. Romans 5, 8 reads this way, but God proves God's love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I don't know what tree you've been near and I don't know what fruit is on your breath. But I can tell you this, that God is not willing that any of us should perish, but that all of us find repentance in the heart. So what do you do when you've blown it? What do you do when you've lived outside the boundary freedom, you step closer to the tree than you're supposed to have been, and you've got the fruit still stuck in your teeth? What do you do? Just this. 
put down the fruit and step away from the tree. Put down the fruit and step away from the tree. And in your praying, God, I've blown it. I knew that you said not only don't eat it, but don't go near it and touch it. Because if I go near it, I will touch it. If I go to touch it, I will eat it. So I know, I know, and I am sorry. I have changed. There's something emerging in me that wants to change. Help me. Forgive me and lead me to the way everlasting. Let's pray. God, in this moment of reflection and a moment of consideration, we, we recognize that we are Adam and we are Eve, all of us. We confess to you that this garden in which we have been placed is a magnificent existence and there is plenty. There is enough for us to live fully content. But we confess to you that we regularly step outside our boundary freedom and it bites us every time. And we confess that it is, it is we who are responsible for all the isms of hate and violence in this world. It's us. It's us. Show us this day how to put the fruit down and step away from the tree and allow your love to clothe us like skins of redemption. Clothe us with Christ that we may be made new and walk in his glorious love. Help somebody today know that that means them. In the name of Christ, amen. Amen.